Hello, everyone, and welcome to your midweek edition of Trashy Divorces, Trashy Breakup Style. My name is Stacy. I'm Alicia. Welcome back, everybody. Or welcome. Either way. Either way. It's a fun, fun day today here on my Trashy Breakups episode. Yeah, you've been hard at work crafting a thing. What you got for us? Today, I'm going to tell you about the time that Lauren Bacall almost got married to Frank Sinatra Hmm. and the wedding that never happened. I mean, I'm going to say she got a little lucky there. She did. Okay. She got lucky and she knows she got lucky, which is why the name of this episode is Who's Sorry Now by Connie Francis. All this goes down in 1958, (laughs) in which Connie Francis's Who's Sorry Now was a top billboard hit that year. It was in the top 50. Of all 1958 Billboard songs. Okay. Okay. Now, we tend to think of Lauren Bacall, Betty Bacall, as absolutely connected with Humphrey Bogart, as she is his widow, Mm -hmm. and rightfully so. The Bogie and Bacall was quite a love affair. Sure. But that causes a trashy divorce, because Humphrey Bogart kind of has to divorce his third wife. We're going to get into that trashy divorces one day. But today, we're focusing in on Lauren Bacall, Betty after Bogart's death. Let's talk about how it all shakes down. Because it is worth mentioning that the Rat Pack that is so infamously tied to Frank Sinatra and all of his buddies has more to do with Humphrey Bogart than anybody else. It has nothing to do with Frank Sinatra. Here's how this shakes down. You need to know that Humphrey Bogart is a well-heeled kind of dude. He is an eastern seaboard aristocrat. His family is loaded. He is a high society chap. But Bogey don't care. Player's gonna play. He is living his life for all it's worth. Doesn't matter. He is living his best life. Has turned his back on the stalwart eastern seaboard. And he is a big time star in Hollywood. He doesn't care about any of that old high society crap. He's in his 50s. He's married Betty Bacall. She's in her 20s. And as you can imagine, these two might have some different ideas about how to have fun. I mean. Humphrey Bogart will go out and do the in the world thing, but he much prefers, as sometimes you do when you're 50, just inviting friends over Mm -hmm. to your Holmby Hills house and just chill. We drink, we smoke, we talk. It's fun. Right. We do this all night long and everybody just has a good time. Don't, Everybody don't have lives to, in the neighborhood. It's fine. Don't have to sign autographs. Don't have people taking my picture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And these aren't just like your neighbors, Homer and Marge Simpson next sure. door coming over. Right. Uh, they're Hollywood legends that are all coming to Bogart's big white house on South Mapleton. This is rarefied air. So during these nights hanging out at home with all of these Hollywood stars that are the same age and same clout as Humphrey, there's a lot of yelling about taxes and government and mm-hmm. things that adults yell about. Mm-hmm. But there's also a general rumbling about not being in charge of their own careers. We don't have control over our Hollywood destiny. We're being dictated to by the studios. Okay. right? The studios are still in charge and actors and designers and The crew, in whatever position you are, you just didn't get a choice. You were told what you were doing and when it started, and you didn't have any input in controlling your own career. 
And Humphrey and all of his friends are like, screw that, man. That's not cool. I want to pick my script. I want to pick my director. Forget it. So Humphrey and all of his friends begin to push back. They push so many scripts back to the studio that the studio begins calling them the Rat Pack. Hmm. That's so, one way I've heard the Rat Pack name. So these are, this is the A-list. Correct. Now, the other way the Rat Pack gets sort of named is, be- I mean, it is because of this or pushing it back. But for the rest of this story, now we need to enter Frank Sinatra. Because the thing that you need to know about Frank Sinatra is Humphrey Bogart is his idol. Poster on the wall is Humphrey Bogart. The way Humphrey wears his casual coolness. Now, remember back from season five and our Frank Sinatra stuff, Frank Sinatra, insecure, Mm -hmm. right? Like agonizingly insecure about so many things. His height, his looks, his ethnicity, his lack of education, his New Jersey blue collar background. Frank Sinatra's valet, George Jacobs, says Sinatra craved class like a junkie craves the needle. And here's Bogey, rich boy in Manhattan and spends the rest of his life living down how rich and cool he is. And Bogey has custom-made suits and pocket squares and fedoras from Kavanaugh. And, I mean, Humphrey Bogart is just fucking cool. And Frank Sinatra, who's never felt cool in his life and has a short fuse to boot, looks at Humphrey Bogart in adoration, and you are my poster on the wall. I just want to be you. How do we get this whole group together, and what does it have to do with the Rat Pack? Okay. Enter Hollywood super agent, not Leland Hayward, but my favorite Hollywood super agent, Mm -hmm. Irving Swifty Lazar. He is a legendary Hollywood agent. It is said that everyone in Hollywood has two agents, their own, and Swifty. Okay. Swifty LeVar is amazing, and he has actually gotten his legendary nickname from Humphrey Bogart, who bets him one day. How many deals do you think you can do in what amount of time? And Swifty Lazar says, I can do three deals in 24 hours. Let's finish lunch. I'll start at 2 (laughs) o'clock. Sure enough, Swifty Lazar, Irving... His name is Irving at this point. Mm-hmm. Calls Humphrey Bogart the next morning and he's like, uh, I made three deals after lunch and guess what? Humphrey, you're in all three of them. <laughs> Irving Lazar is now called Swifty. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Swifty Lazar is kind of like an, uh, an OG Dominic Dunn. Swifty's connected to everyone at every level. So all the way back in the 1940s, Swifty is representing trumpet-playing band leader Harry James, who, after seeing Frank Sinatra, goes to Irving Lazar and says, you have to check this kid out. And Swifty does and goes and does the introduction thing after. And so Frank Sinatra at this point is making $75 a week. So Swifty Lazar's override on $75 a week, like seven bucks is... Not super significant. But Frank Sinatra's like, hey, I really want to sing with MCA. That's the biggest, that's the biggest deal you can get. And Swifty's like, all right, all right, Frank, 
Let's talk when you make it. Now, Swifty will regret in this short amount of time as Frank is going to move to the Tommy Dorsey band and become the honestly first real live singing superstar. Irving Lazar and his autobiography, Swifty, which I've sourced much of the story from, writes that he wishes he had played that all a little differently. Mm -hmm, I bet. I digress. So Frank Sinatra, biggest singing superstar in the world, comes out to Hollywood and he knows Swifty and Swifty knows everyone. And at some point, Frank's like, I've got to move out of the Garden of Allah Mm. Hotel. Right. And Swifty is going to get Frank an apartment at the Belzer Complex. This is known as the Boulevard. Now, what's cool about this, this is a building of apartments that's owned and run by the mother of famous movie star Loretta Young, Angel. We talked about her on Patreon not long ago. Attached to Clark Gable? That is correct. Okay. And the apartments at the Boulevard are beautifully appointed and really kind of a special place. When Swifty has already moved in, he up front paid $6,000 cash for the whole year. And Loretta Young's mom is like... Uh, you can't do this. What if something happens to you? She's very religious, Loretta Young and her mother. And Swifty's like, you know what? If I die before the end of the year of rent is up, just donate it to the church. <laughs> so Swifty Lazar is in the building. So the boulevard is going to house many, many people through time. It's like a little mini garden of Allah. Legendary housing community Mm -hmm. in Hollywood for 30 years. Okay. So here's Frank Sinatra looking for a place. And Swifty Lazar is like, hey, come check it out. Frank moves in. And Frank Sinatra and Swifty Lazar are neighbors for a long time at the Boulevard. I don't know if they're necessarily great neighbors because Frank Sinatra will steal three of Swifty Lazar's butlers over time. I guess it could be worse. So Lauren Bacall says she doesn't remember how Frank got onto the Holmby Hills scene, but Swifty Lazar can fill in those details for us. So one night, Frank Sinatra is alone. He's not doing a thing. He's hanging out like on his front porch at the boulevard, just being sad. And Swifty Lazar is headed out to Bogey and Bacall's. And Swifty Lazar's like, Frank, come on, come with me. It'll be fun. And Frank is in. Swifty sad, La- sad no more. Swifty Lazar is Frank Sinatra's entree point. Mm-hmm. And now Frank Sinatra is hanging with Humphrey Bogart, Lauren Bacall, Judy Garland, Sid Luft, David Nivens, Spencer Tracy, Ira Gershwin, Mike Romanoff, the Rodeo Drive restaurateur superstar. Oh, his wife, Gloria. Holy cats. Sinatra is in the circle. This rolls for a while. And like during this time in the 50s, Sinatra had a slump, but I don't know, by 54, Sinatra's back on top. And one night in 1955, this whole gang is drunkenly wasting about in the wee small hours of the morning. And Lauren Bacall, who is younger and sharper than the rest of them, says, you all look like a rat pack. And Humphrey Bogart loves it, takes the name, hey, we should start a band. Okay, so the semi-official club gets going. Lauren Bacall in her biography, By Myself, she says, in order to qualify, one had to be addicted to nonconformity. 
staying up late, drinking, laughing, and not caring what anyone thought or said about us. They will hold a dinner at the private room of Romanov's fancy, fancy, swanky restaurant. Rules are made, positions are attained, and it kind of rolls down like this. Lauren Bacall is elected den mother. Humphrey Bogart is in charge of public relations. Sid Luft is acting cage manager. (laughs) (laughs) And Frank Sinatra is chairman of the board. Uh, Ah, yes. This is how the Rat Pack happens. No one can join the Rat Pack without a unanimous consent of members. And Lauren Bacall says what fun we had with it all. We were an odd assortment, but liked each other so much, and every one of us had a wild sense of ridiculousness. The press had a field day, but we had the upper hand. So, let the good times roll. We're going to let the good times roll here for just a minute, take a quick break to hear from our awesome sponsors this week, and when we come back, we're going to get into how it all shakes down. See you on the flip. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother, but that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Disentel, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Belisai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disentel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so now we know how the Rat Pack maybe was named, but how did Frank and Betty Bacall become a thing? Nearly marry. Okay, so around this time, February 1956, Humphrey Bogart is diagnosed with throat cancer. Bogie's health is going to deteriorate throughout the next year, and he is still being cool and welcoming guests with his friends who are still coming by until they don't. And sometime during this year, it is thought that Frank and Lauren begin an affair. It's super secret, although everyone in the loop knows, and everyone's hoping Bogey doesn't know. Right. In October of 1956, Frank Sinatra will charter a plane to bring Lauren 
and some friends out to Las Vegas, where he's appearing to celebrate her 32nd birthday. He gets her a three-tiered cake. Happy birthday, den mother. Frank Sinatra's date is Kim Novak to this event, but Bogey will stay home with their son. Humphrey Bogart does die January 1957 at the age of 57. Luminaries attend his funeral. Lauren Bacall will ask Spencer Tracy to give the eulogy, but he's too upset to do it. So John Houston steps up. Frank Sinatra is so distraught, he does not attend the funeral, but he will cancel all of his shows at the Copa. Some people surmise that Frank is eaten alive by the guilt of his affair with Lauren Bacall, which doesn't stop. They continue their affair. Frank is drying the widow's tears, so to speak. That is all Swifty Lazar. Now I'm going to tell you about what Lauren Bacall says. The first time I went out in public after Bogey died, Frank took me to a cinema in Hollywood. And when we emerged, there were photographers waiting. Those pictures ended up in the newspaper around the world. It was the first time Frank and I were linked, even tentatively, in a romantic way. A newspaper friend warned me, you and Frank can't go anywhere without causing a commotion. Individually, you make news, but together, it's insane. The next eight months were to prove him right. Frank and I became a steady pair. At his small dinner parties, I was the hostess. I sat in on some of his recording dates. I was the center of his life at that moment. It seemed to everyone, his friends and mine, that we were crazy about each other. I felt rather girlish and giddy, but I didn't really know where I stood with Frank, and I never understood the love games he played, adoring one day and remote the next. It's a good sign. I had been married to a grown-up. Bogey knew what he wanted. If a woman loved him, he felt stronger rather than threatened. Frank, on the other hand, advanced and then drew back, keeping me off balance. Hmm. As a couple, (laughs) we were combustible. (laughs) Hmm. Always when we entered a room, the feeling was, are they okay tonight? You could almost hear a sigh of relief when we were both smiling and relaxed. Have you ever have you ever known that couple, and they come in and you're everybody in the room's like, oh, are they okay tonight? Yeah, yeah, I've had a few of those in my life over the years. Lauren will continue writing. He had many scars from past loves, and especially he was embittered by his failure with Ava, Ava Gardner. God knows how many times I heard him snap, "Don't tell, suggest." He couldn't stand being told what to do by anyone, but sometimes if he was in the mood, he could accept a hint. That's like Henry VIII shit. Yeah. Don't tell, suggest. That That is some weak ass shit. I'm sorry. That is. And Lauren says, uh, Lauren writes, despite it all, I love being with him. I felt more like a woman. No man had ever made me feel more wanted and more rejected. Yikes. Okay. So they're together. Sure. That's great. Yeah. Swifty Lazar is also responsible for their breakup. Thank you, Swifty. All right. So Frank will propose to Lauren March 11th, 1958. Uh, It's an appropriate time after Humphrey Bogart's death. And Lauren says yes. And Swifty is there when Frank is talking about it. And it's great. And Frank heads down to Miami. He has a gig at the Fountain Blue in Miami. 
And Frank has not told his family, his children, he really wants to keep it on the DL, like keep it secret, keep it safe. So Frank Sinatra's out of town. And Swifty Lazar is always the available guy to get as an escort, right? So he has taken Lauren Bacall out to a party at Zsa Zsa Gabor's. Luella Parsons is there. Luella Parsons is a gossip columnist of the day, yeah? Big time. Big time. Okay. And Swifty has no idea the engagement is secret. Mm. And so he blabs. Mm. By the time they're leaving the restaurant... The paper already has a headline, mm-hmm. Sinatra to Mary Bacall. Whew. Lauren wants to kill Swifty Lazar. She's like, Frank is going to be so pissed. Mm-hmm. And so they call Frank and Frank does not like to be embarrassed. And Frank breaks off that engagement. Yeah. Wow. Swifty will write that Lauren really should be grateful. He saved her from a terrible mistake. Mm-hmm. She was never going to be a subservient wife. He knows Frank better than that, and he saved her from a heap of trouble. Now, this is Lauren Bacall in her autobiography. Finally, the phone did ring, and Frank said, Why did you do it? My heart was pounding as I pleaded to be forgiven for something that had not been my fault. In a cold, remote voice, he told me, I haven't been able to leave my room for days. We'll have to lay low and not see each other for a while. I didn't know that this was to be my last phone call from Frank. (laughs) I saw him at a party a month later, and he didn't acknowledge my existence. He did not speak one word to me. If he looked in my direction, it was as though my chair were empty. Ghosted. Yeah, for real. She'll continue writing. I was so humiliated, so embarrassed. I would have preferred him to spit in my face. Mm. But she gets it. Actually, Frank did me a great favor. He saved me from the disaster our marriage would have been. He'd behaved like a complete shit, Mm -hmm. but I'll always have a special feeling for him. The good times we had were awfully good. That is a very charitable. She'll chalk it up for Frank to losing Ava Gardner. Losing Ava was always going to sour his feelings across the board. And you would think here, no marriage, good on you who's sorry now, that that would be the end of our trashy divorce. But alas, it is not. I have two follow-ups. So the thing that you need to know is this involves my favorite guy, Dominic Dunn. Okay, so Lauren Bacall and Frank Sinatra don't speak again for six years. And when they do... It is because Swifty Lazar is giving a party at the Bistro for the release of the book Is Paris Burning by Larry Collins and Dominique Lapierre. This is 1965. Frank Sinatra at this time is with Mia Farrow. Lauren Bacall has remarried to Jason Robards. Frank comes in, gets really drunk, really quickly. This is at the Bistro, not the Daisy. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the incident where Frank Sinatra gets the maitre d' of the Daisy to punch Dominic Dunn in the face. Mm-hmm. This happens before that night. Okay. So there's, uh, there's precedent. Frank, at this point, super intoxicated, decides to go after sweet Lenny Dunn, Dominic's wife, telling her just what he thought of her husband, which is... 
really very terrible things, and Lenny Dunn is crying and in tears. And Frank's attention then turns from Lenny Dunn to Swifty Lazar and yells at Swifty, if it was not for you, me and Betty would be married. Frank Sinatra now, probably be divorced by then, but okay, will hulk out and hurl some chairs and pull out a tablecloth from glasses and plates and everything smashes to the ground and Frank feels pretty good about himself and storms out. Where he'll head to the parking lot and, oddly enough, his tires have been slashed. (laughs) Because it is discovered a little bit later that the musicians at the party were like, what the fuck, dude? Way to ruin the party and make girls cry. Not cool, bro. So, Mia Farrow will say that Frank drove home on all four rims. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Frank Sinatra will send a telegram the next day to his friend Swifty Lazar that reads, I think from now on you better send me the guest list or don't invite me at all. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wow. To but, never have to grow up. Imagine. Oh my God, but we're not done. Okay. So we talked about Brooke Hayward and Dennis Hopper in our mm-hmm. Sunday story just last week. But I have a little bit of an add-on that has to do directly with Lauren Bacall. This is where you're going to be so glad you sat on my spider webby front porch. Okay. So poor Lauren Bacall. Sad. Broken up from Frank. They're not talking for another six years. Like, it's terrible. Lauren Bacall's BFF is Slim Keith. Okay. Okay. Slim Keith is like, God, Betty, it sucks that you're sad. Hey, I'm about to head over to Europe. I need to end up in Munich because I'm meeting this lady. Her name is Baroness Maria von Trapp. And Leland and I are thinking about making a movie about her life. Which will become the sound, the sound of, music. of music. But let's just go. Let's You and I will go to Paris. It'll be a lot of fun. And I'll Leland can meet us there and then we'll go to Munich. Leland says, great. You guys go. Have a good time. I'll see you in Paris in mm-hmm. two weeks. Enjoy yourselves. So Slim Keith packing her bags to, you know, head to Europe for a, a Galentine's weekend with her best friend Betty. Cheer her up. But right before she leaves, phone rings. It's Slim's BFF, Babe Paley. Babe Paley's calling because her sister Betsy is sending Pamela Churchill there for the weekend for them to entertain. Pamela, (laughs) Babe's sister Betsy is married to Jock Whitney of those Whitneys. Okay. And Pamela is going to be in town and she's friends with Betsy and Jock. But Betsy, Whitney is not going to be in town. So Betsy calls her sister, Babe. So Babe Paley says, sure, me and Bill, my husband, are happy to host Pamela for the weekend for you. I'll pick up extra tickets for the theater, which Babe Paley does. But you can't go to the theater unescorted. So Babe is calling Slim Keith like, oh, girl, can you do me a solid? I got Pam Churchill coming into town and I need to find her an escort for the theater. Slim Keith says, no problem. Leland can do it. It's 1958. Yeah. 
So <laughs> here's Leland escorting a 39-year-old single Pamela who was having affairs with all who, kinds of yeah. wealthy and powerful men. She and had some charms. Even before the big theater escort thing, Pamela Churchill gets news of who her escort will be and immediately calls Leland. She sends him a gift. She plans a dinner for him. All of a sudden, all of her attention is on Leland Hayward with Slim Keith out of town with mm-hmm. her BFF, Lauren Bacall, who's recovering from her broken engagement with Frank Sinatra. And Slim Keith, like, never thinks about it. She's like, every man I know knows you sleep with Pamela, but you don't marry Pamela. And sure enough, Leland will admit to the affair, claiming it's all done. But alas, the day that his divorce is final from Slim Keith, Leland Hayward marries Pamela Churchill. And that is the end of the sit and spell on my porch for a moment with trashy breakups today. That's almost how Lauren Bacall and Frank Sinatra didn't get married and what it has to do with the breakup of Leland Hayward's marriage. All in one fresh, hot pipe and trash candy episode. That is 100% the type of story you love. It had everything. Mm. Thanks everybody for tuning in. To our Bonanza of Spiderwebs edition. Y'all, we're going to be back on Sunday with two brand new trashy divorces. We can't wait to see you then. Go wash your hands. Uh, Keep those hearts trashy, though. We'll see you Sunday. Cheers, friends. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacey and Alicia with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram. And definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.